Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 510th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You get your daily reading from me at my blog site. It's not just a podcast. It's now a blog, the Feuerstein's Fire. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. You have a question for me. I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Um, first things first, the summer of soccer is underway. The Euros have been exciting. The Copa America is going on. And then starting next month, we go into CONCACAF Gold Cup. And tomorrow, we finish off second round uh, qualifying in Asia. And, of course, the second round of qualifying in CONCACAF. Will we see Panama advance or will Curaçao do it at home? Can Canada add on to their away goal? And can the Spice Boys, excuse me, the Sugar Boys of St. Kitts and Nevis, can they find a way to jump back into this after being down four goals to nil by El Salvador? This is going to be exciting and fun to watch, and this will be all on Paramount Plus for the CONCACAF qualifiers, and then we will see who will join the five in the octagonal starting in September. Also, want to give a shout-out to Denmark's Christian Eriksson. Uh, what happened to him in the match against Finland as he was trying to deliver a corner, uh, excuse me, a throw-in, and then he went to the ground, apparently. <coughs> excuse me, cardiac arrest took, took him down, and thankfully was being able to be resuscitated and in, um, stabilizing his condition. Very happy to hear that, and I only hope and pray he'll continue on to be uh, doing well. And here, of course, I wish him nothing but the best. I hope Christian Eriksen will be all right as we, of course, move forward. MLS getting back on track this coming weekend, starting off on Friday night with the Red Bulls hosting Nashville SC at Red Bull Arena. And hopefully we will see uh, MLS back in action and it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. I personally cannot wait. Today, on this intro monologue, we, or shall I, talk about things that we have to make sure of because we cannot have our politicians interfere with FIFA business. And... We've had two different moments reported by one person who is a congressman in the Republican side of things, and now we have uh, Senate Democrats on the other side. A couple of months ago, Florida Representative Congressman Matt Gates was going to try to interfere with U.S. soccer business because he didn't like the way that some of the women's national team players were not standing for the 
national anthem when it was being played. Our national anthem. This is Republican Matt Gates of Florida. Now, and let me just say this, let's just to finish off with Matt Gates real quick. It, he did post it on his personal Twitter account. Now, now, we have a report from The Hill on June 9th that Senate Democrats threatened to block funds for the 2026 World Cup unless women's soccer get equal pay. Senate Democrats want to do this. For those of you, whether depending on which side of the political aisle you're on, and I don't like mixing politics with sports, you all know that. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. I would like to believe that politics should be taken away from being involved inside sports, unless, you know, you hate the Red Sox if you're a Yankees fan, or you hate Boston if you're a New York fan. Boston, you hate New York as a Boston fan. You know, Chicago, you hate St. Louis. You know, St. Louis hates Chicago. Kansas City hates St. Louis. St. Louis hates Kansas City. That sort of situation is fine. But let me quickly take you to what happened to the Guatemalan F.A., as most of you probably know, and if some of you don't know, it's okay. You need to listen and pay attention to what happened. Guatemala FA was suspended for a couple of years because here was what happened. FIFA took over the Guatemalan FA because there was a bit of a crisis in management leadership. What happened was there were two players. Apparently they were suspended from the national team for doing doping, illegal drugs. Guatemalan FA runs their own situation. Guatemalan FA is under the guidance of FIFA. FIFA has said, we don't want any government interference from the political parties or the, or the politicos of said nation. Those two players who thought that their suspension was overly harsh went to the governor, the governing body of sport in the Guatemalan political cabinet. That official for the country of sport in Guatemala said, your bans have been lifted. That is Guatemalan interference from the regular Guatemalan politicos. FIFA said to that man, either, re- either remove your rescinding of our ban or face consequences that we will suspend your national team and we will suspend your club of participating in international club competitions. They would not, and that meant Guatemala, the national team, could not perform in any CONCACAF-sanctioned tournaments, whether it be Olympic qualifying, under-17 World Cup qualifying, under-20 World Cup qualifying, World Cup qualifying itself, and any club 
that was going to reach or get to either CONCACAF League or CONCACAF Champions League. And even though Guatemala did not get out of the first round of World Cup qualifying, the truth is that played in the part of them not getting out of the first round. So when the two moments that I've seen, like I've said, it, one side of the soccer situation came from a Republican. This other side came from the Democrats. I interjected and informed them, plain and simply put, if you interfere with FIFA business, they will suspend the U.S. men's national team and the U.S. women's national team from playing international matches as well as club international matches. Please stand down. Now, as you can see, I was not being mean. I was not being yelling. I was not being disrespectful. If you inform people of what you can or can't do, and you treat them with respect and you would like for them to return the respect back to you, they will listen. They will listen. And the truth is, truth is simply put, we cannot have our politicians interfering with our soccer business. Now, let me just say this. Let me just say this. What the Senate Democrats are trying to achieve, I feel it is noble. It is absolutely noble and good to hope or at least to try to find a way to have our women's players being paid the same amount as the men. I think it's a noble thing. And I think it's a good thing what they're trying to do. I am not questioning them. I, it's not my place to question what they're doing. If they feel they want to interject themselves, that's fine. But once again, if you're going to mess around with the 2026 World Cup and block the funds for it, this is a whole different ball of wax. That means that the majority of the matches that are going to be played in the United States are going to be shared and split with our neighbors in Canada in the north and Mexico in the south. And believe me, you know, each individual country can host a World Cup on their own. Mexico has done it twice. Canada has hosted an under-20 World Cup. I think by on their own merit and on their own feet, I think they can host a World Cup myself. But let's be truthful about this. Any government interference, any government interference, we have nobody to blame but our politicians. I understand where they're coming from. I understand what the Democrat, the Senate Democrats are trying to do. I understood what Matt Gates was trying to do. But if we're honest with ourselves, 
any form of government interference on a negative light, and our national teams will not be able to perform in competitions. You can plan any friendly you want. We probably won't get that either if this interference did happen. All I'm asking for the Senate Democrats is this, and also to Florida Congressman Matt Gates, and also any Republicans as well, any Democrats, any independents, whoever is in our Congress or in our Senate. Please do not interfere with FIFA US with FIFA and US soccer business. <coughs> if you interfere with FIFA business, we're not going to play any international games. Now, I understand why you're trying to do this, but it makes no sense. It makes no sense not to allow our players to perform in international competitions or international club competitions. It is a slippery slope that they are going to be a part of, and we cannot have that. If we can finally agree on one thing, if we can finally agree on one thing, is this. We cannot have our politics and our politicians interfering in the world's favorite game and is also our favorite game. The World Cup will be attended. The majority of the games will be here in our nation. Please, if there's any politicians on either side of the aisle that listens to this show, I am asking you nicely to please do not interfere with FIFA business. Please do not interfere with FIFA business. We cannot have you people put your two cents in because it's not going to be worth the price of a dime, a nickel, a quarter, or a penny, a half dollar, or a silver dollar. Please do not interfere with FIFA Please do not interfere with the World Cup itself. Thank you. Great show for you tonight. Drake Hills will be joining me on Nashville SC and, of course, the build, the construction of their stadium. Tonight, we're talking to friends of mine, of course, on the northern border as Canada is doing a job in World Cup qualifying as well as some TFC news. Joining me, of course, 24th Minute Blog, Soccer Today co-host and part of the sports Podcasting Network with Kevin Laramie. It is Dwayne Rollins. Dwayne, um, I have to tell you, Dwayne, I've loved what Canada's been doing through uh, me, World Cup qualifying. Canada is looking strong. It's looking sharp. Uh, we're, I think we're finally seeing Canada becoming what you would hope it would be. And even, I'll be honest, I hope that what they would be. Three strong nations in the north zone of CONCACAF, and as of right now, they're bossing qualifying. Yeah, well, still one more hurdle to go. Uh, they have to play tomorrow against Katie, of course, and, and protect the, the 1-0 lead that they did get on the road, a road goal there. Um, I 
I agree that it does look promising, but, uh, you know, we're not going to check or count the, the chickens before they hatch, right? So there's no cliche. Uh, but, yeah, certainly um, it's been a campaign thus far that, you know, although they have they can only beat who's in front of you, right? And they're, you know, Aruba and, and mm-hmm. the Cayman Islands are exactly the, the highest quality of opposition, but to beat them the way that they did, uh, 11-0 and 7-0, uh, is certainly notable. And um, there was a tough Bermuda team that everyone remembers from the uh, – from the Gold Cup, where they they are, and, and in the Nations League as well, from 2019 when they upset Panama. Uh, so this was a team that was capable. They they handled them 5-1, and then they get down and they and you know Suriname is the game that everyone was circling as a banana peel, and they got through it pretty easily before uh, getting the first win against Haiti in the last week. So yeah, the the results have been there. Uh, it's only one nil though, so you know we're not ready to you're not ready to write the the schedule out in pen quite yet, but but you know it's been penciled in so to speak, and hopefully we can get it done because it's been, uh, you know, most of my adult life <laughs> since they were last in the, uh, <laughs> in the heck. Not the I heck, know, but in the I know, I've seen it too. <laughs> mm. But I have to say, though, um, you know, seeing the quality of Canada right now, to me, feels like I think they're finally coming into age. Obviously, uh, the Canadian Premier League does help a little bit with some of the players, that are playing. I know there's still some Canadians that are playing abroad in Europe. And of course, those that play in MLS with Montreal, TFC and Vancouver in your mind, do from what you have seen yourself, do you feel that things are finally coming to fruition that what you've been dreaming about and what other Canadian soccer fans have been dreaming about as well? Um, I was acting as a, uh, a voice of sort of a psychologist in many ways uh, on Twitter and other social media in the lead up to the World Cup qualifying to try and, you know, calm down the PTSD of certain people out there. I don't mean to be flippant to anyone who actually suffers from that, to be clear, but to, to make a little light of it, I was sort of trying to calm people down from being overly stressed about things uh, because this team is quite talented. And when you look at it objectively, you take a step away, you take the emotional attachment away, you, you don't try to connect it to uh, failures of the past, um, which is hard to do when, when you've had so many failures in the past. And that goes for any team that you supported that struggled, right? Like, you know, most of us out there probably have one team that we cheer for that, that you know, doesn't always do too well. And you sort of uh, have that collective memory that it's hard to get past. But But I was trying to talk people off that ledge because, when you look at it again on on paper, there's no reason they shouldn't be handling. Well, certainly the first two teams I mentioned tonight, and even Bermuda, and then sort of Suriname in there as well, it shouldn't even be a question they're getting past them. You know, yeah, they they had a bad result against Haiti, uh, what is now almost three years ago, but that's when you're talking about Jonathan David, Alfonso Davies, both being teenagers at that point. And the fact, mere fact that they're playing as teenagers tells you how talented they are. Now these are both champions in a top five European leagues. So that's a major difference, and that really is the biggest thing that I would say to anyone who's coming in to watch Canada now for the first time and, and maybe has seen them in the past. The biggest difference between this team and other versions of it is that they have this top-end talent that cannot be matched by any team outside of the top four or five in CONCACAF and is only matched if they are by those top couple teams in terms of having guys that can do that. Yeah. Um, in fact, I would argue that in terms of a one-two attacking punch, you know, David and, and Davis are 
arguably right there as the best one-two in, in, in the entire region, which is, is something unique. Now, there's weaknesses on the Canadian team that sort of bounce that out a bit, but but they have that ability to break down, and that's what happened in the Suriname game. Um, for those who didn't see it, it, it was tight uh, for quite a bit until Alfonso Davies had a remarkable individual athletic move that created the first goal. And then similarly, in the second goal, which truly won the tie at that point, not the tie, but the group at that point, was a, a ball into Jonathan David, which was a half-touch turn, uh, slices in and off a side foot from, you know, on the full run, bang, bang, it's 2-0. And at that point, Sertam needs three because the draw doesn't help them and there's only 30 minutes left. And it seems pretty likely that they're going through there. These are goals that Canada doesn't score in the past. And it's why I think it's pretty safe is a strong way to put any game because obviously the ball is rounded, things can happen but coming to play a pretty safe leg in suburban Chicago um, without any of the sort of stuff around it that they had to deal with in Haiti, it wasn't a full CONCACAF away game because there were no fans there but Haiti is essentially a war zone right now, Uh, they weren't able to go down to train to acclimatize them to the area, they flew in the morning of the game uh, the pitch was a very bad field turf version. Um, you know, obviously you're dealing with the referee issues in CONCACAF as you always do when you're on the road, and, and they were able to overcome that fairly comfortably. They didn't look as good as they did in the group stage because I think that the circumstances around it prevented them from really excelling, but I think when they get back to Bridgeview, um, as much as it's not home, I, I do think that just because it is – you know, they don't have to deal with the stuff around it. I think that that's going to allow them to be pretty comfortable in that. Haiti didn't really push them that hard. And, and you know, one result, and they can they can start to count those games in the, in the AUK, which I think I've said on here and elsewhere before, obviously we want to make a World Cup, but getting, you know, we just boom, we'll, we'll get the host spot in 26. So getting that experience of playing in the final round of CONCACAF qualifying, I think is so vital for this team right now so that they can at the very least grow and be ready to be more competitive in 2026 than they might be otherwise. And that's kind of where I'm at. Like, it'll be gravy after that. Obviously, it'd be gravy I'd like to eat, but gravy nonetheless. <laughs> exactly. I agree with you there. And, you know, I have to tell you, uh, that was one, that was the match, I believe, uh, Canada, you know, like you said. Uh, the field turf wasn't great. The conditions uh, were not ideal for Canada to qualify or at least to, uh, you know, you got to play them on the day of, on the morning of the match. But I have to say though, I thought Herdman's team were prepared and they were ready to go. Um, and they looked pretty good. I have to admit though, I thought in that game, I thought maybe they could have scored another two or three goals in that one to really put it to bed. But, uh, I, I give, you know, Haiti credit there. You know, they played hard, they played tough and, I mean, to see them targeting Alfonso Davies all game long, that had to be one of those moments where, yeah, you, you know, like in hockey, you, you know, your superstar is getting shadowed, but, you know, while he hasn't done much, he hasn't complained either, and he's doing as much as he can to distract uh, the opposition while your teammates are putting in the chances. Well, yeah, and he's going to get that, and he's going to have to get used to that. And, I, again, I, I hearken back to the – People will point to the Haiti loss in the Gold Cup where they, they had the terrible second half, um, blew a two-goal lead in that game. And you sort of pointed to that as an example why they might lose this. But again, you're dealing with, with two guys that are you know, on the focal point of your team that 
that were teenagers then, and, and they didn't have that experience, that savvy. Alfonso Davies is used to being the big baddie when he walks into a lot of places that are going to hack and sack and punch and do whatever they can to get under the skin of what is, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world. You cannot replicate that or teach that pressure to anyone. And, you know, I, again, arguably, I think Alfonso Davies is maybe the player in gap playing at the very highest level right now. You know, Bayern Munich is no joke. So that that's no, and regularly starting for them. And that's something again that you can't can't really predict and you can't match if you're Haiti. And and you know, I don't want to count the chickens, as I said, but but I, mm-hmm. I do think you know, when I mentioned the you know, the my sports PTSD, that's just the fans. That's the other thing about this this team. When you hear them talk, they don't seem to have it. The players don't seem to have it. The the coaching staff, as much as I've questioned some of the tactics of Herdman over the years and I question certainly how he got the job, regardless of that, um he is doesn't seem to be frightened of this circumstance. They're not shrinking away from it. They they weren't overly celebratory when they finished that game off. They understood there was still um, stuff to do. They did their interviews for, for the broadcaster up here and then got the boss and got the hell out of Dodge, basically, so that they could go prepare for this properly for the next leg. And, they, you know, tomorrow night at this time, I'll be an hour from kickoff, not even quite at this point, and we'll be nervous, but confidently nervous, and that's, not something we're used to. I, I'll underline it one more time. You can't stress how important it is for Canada to get those consistent games against the U.S., Mexico, Costa Rica, Honduras, certainly the, a lot of history there. Uh, they need those games to harden themselves. And I, I think they'll have a chance to get certainly top four in that round, which would uh, continue them on. Um, we don't know who they'd be playing yet, but uh, that's kind of the goal I would have going into that if I were a Canadian fan, or well, I am a Canadian fan, but if I were a Canadian player, that's the goal I, I would have. Well, they they probably would think even higher, but I think it's realistic based on what we've seen. And, you know, the Gold Cup, not many people are talking about it this, this summer. Um, if Canada sends a full, something close to a full-strength lineup, I, I think this Gold Cup's up for grabs for anyone because I'm not too sure what the Americans is going to do with it. So, uh, yeah, it could be an interesting competition, that too. But first things first, or tonight or tomorrow. Exactly. First thing is tomorrow. So let's go to Toronto FC right now. Um, so Josie Altidore is... Uh, oh, <laughs> I think we're going to have to because, you know, okay. I, 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 I mean, I hate to do this to you, Dwayne, but honestly, I, I'm surprised how quickly things have been falling off the wheels uh, with Toronto. Players complaining about Chris Armas. Um, I don't know if they've said anything about Ali Curtis. Josie Altidore now, uh, I guess he said uh, some of the magic words. I think you know what they are, and uh, he's been told to train, uh, you know, away from the first team. What has happened? Why is it happening? How is this possible? Um, look, it's very difficult for any of us that normally would have a greater insight into what's going on behind the scenes to have that insight right now since because of the situation you know we're starting to open back up here um last weekend was the first kind of normal weekend i've had in a long time you know i i shared drinks and fun with people in public again that i didn't know that was that was wonderful but uh we're not yet having our soccer team back here so we can't watch them day in day out and that sort of allows things to fester down there in florida and and i think that's kind of what's happening a little bit now josie we all know to be with josie and there's all there's good from that and there's a lot bad with that um, Chris Armas, we're learning, and, and you, because of 
his affiliation with the Red Bulls should know a little bit about Chris Armas, is a personality too, I tend, I tend to think. I haven't got a chance to know this man or talk to him very often, but he does seem very hard-headed when it comes to his decision-making. And that's just a bad clash right there between two guys that are not going to back off their position. And, and you know, there, there's comments today that uh, basically, if you're reading between the lines, they're trying to move Josie. They don't have a taker. It's hard to understand how you're going to get a taker if you're going to not play the kid. The kid. You're going to play Josie's not a kid anymore. You're not going to play him. <laughs> it's, it's hard for me to I'm, – because I remember when Josie was a kid, so it's hard for me to <laughs> not think of him that way. Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's a mess is the way to put it because this is a TFC team that reminds me of the battle days. Like, nothing they do is going right. They, I don't understand, you know, why they tried to completely reinvent the wheel. Like, no one does up here. Like, what? Why? They made through three or five finals. Why would you – and I know you have to refresh things a little bit. Yeah, and Greg Vanny's leaving, so maybe that allows you to tweak a little bit. But you don't take – a bunch of players that have very successfully played a certain way for five years and overnight snap your fingers and have them play completely a different way. And a different way that doesn't have any more proof that it's going to work and, in fact, so far isn't working. They are nearly last place in this league. They have two wins on the year, uh, one of which was their very first game they played. Their second game, I guess, whatever. The game in the CCL against the Lyon's club that now, in hindsight, we're not too sure what they were doing. Like, it's just been terrible. And he doesn't, Chris Armas, doesn't seem to have a handle on what's going on. As you mentioned, Josie's spoken out in some capacity against his decision-making. We're not really hearing other stuff. Uh, there's Quentin Westbrook, uh, who was the starting keeper for most of that good run that we mentioned. Uh, you know, Alex Bono was the, the keeper for the, the MLS Cup winning team in 2017. But uh, Westbrook took over uh, in 2019 and, and took them back to that final there and, and certainly started all last year. And, and a lot of people feel he is the more stable keeper. Uh, he's an older keeper. So and you know maybe you want to make that move to Bono, but to move, make it as sudden as they did and to not really offer any situation or any reasoning for it beyond this is my team now and I'm going to make this choice. It seemed like it was almost a, like a statement, right? Westbrook made comments to French media that, you know, maybe you can read one way, maybe you can read another way, but why are you making any comments at all? If there's no problem, you're not making any comments, right? Like, that's that's kind of how I come down on mm-hmm. that. Um, today uh, was the first media availability of after the break. Uh, you know, obviously, their MLS is back playing again next week. Oh, there was one game this weekend. And, you know, yeah, they gave them the stamp of approval. I mean, uh, Alec Curtis said he, they were fully backing him and you know, working hard and blah, blah, blah. But it didn't seem to me that there was like a overwhelmingly loud yell from certainly the players that are interviewed supporting their manager. Uh, it, it seems absurd to talk about the idea of whether we should be talking about moving on from him already, but bluntly <laughs> this club talks like it's a, it's the highest spending team in the league and they're third last and don't look like they're getting any better. I, I do not think he, ha- he cannot have a long rope right now, particularly if he's driving out DPs. I think they'd all like to move on from Josie. They'd like to add a new DP spot there. But, I mean, <laughs> this is the mess that they've created, and they're going to have to get through this year with it. And, and I don't think it's realistic to think that they can move Josie before the off season. So if that's the case, then you have to figure that out. And if you're a manager, it's your job to manage. And that includes managing big personalities. And Chris Armas, to me right now, is not managing a big personality. He's making something a problem. And that is another strike against a manager that, quite frankly, and you're in New York, you know this, 
does not have a great resume. Why he was hired is beyond me, but he has been. So do your job, and doing your job is managing your players, and this is a guide, an example of him not managing a player. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens down the road, and uh, we're just going to have to wait and see what Toronto's going to do here. But, Dwayne, good luck tomorrow night for you and the nation of Canada. I think uh, you will move ahead, but then again, I don't want to jinx it, but I have a good feeling Canada will be in the octagonal starting in September. But you have a good night. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers. Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, Soccer Today, and the Sports Podcasting Network in Canada with Kevin Laramay. Now joining me, coming from the great state of Tennessee, is Drake Hills, covers Nashville SC uh, for the Tennessean, and he joins me right now. Drake, good evening, and how are you? Yeah, all is well here. It's a little steamy, a little humid, but uh, MLS is back again. You know, I felt like it was four weeks instead of two for the international break, but <laughs> Didn't it? no, glad to be back. But there's also some a couple of big big stories that will be coming out soon for me, and so hasn't necessarily been a vacation uh, out here in Nashville. No, absolutely not. Uh, obviously, a lot of things going on in Nashville right now, uh, especially with the club. They've had, uh, I would say they've had a, they've, they've been okay. You're currently, they're currently uh, in the final spot of the playoffs, even though we're still in, June, it's still early in the season. Uh, how do you feel Gary Smith's side's been doing so far since the start of the brand new year? Well, Nashville's unbeaten, so uh, that that starts with that starts with any form of optimism that you can that you can pull out of pretty much anywhere, and no matter what argument that you might uh, put forth to the table, whether that's the fact that. Their their central defense has been a little rocky as as far as how they've distributed the ball in possession, how they've defended long balls over the top, how they've been able to start slow, and, and which usually uh, after the first several matches of last season, you know, let's say maybe two or three, you know, after that they really got going and got hot as far as their defense is concerned. This year is a little bit different. Uh, it's taken them – the entire time leading up to the international break, and, and really there was only one really decent performance, and that was against New England Revolution, and how that 2-0 win against the conference's best uh, came about. So I think the narrative in any avenue, in any angle that you might want to might want to go at it with, uh, there's always been the fact that they – Nashville has stayed unbeaten, and that is a credit to guys like Hani Mukhtar, who came up strong against Atlanta United after down 2-0 in a very hostile, very loud um, and, and rivalry match against Atlanta United. So whether it's him or whether it's CJ Sephong, Randall Leal has arguably been the best player at left wing. He's been, the, he's been their best uh, really attacking force uh, this year. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely been a lot of kinks and a lot of wrinkles into this Nashville seaside, but, you know, for some reason, and however you want to put it, they've been able to come back regardless of the deficit, and they're still unbeaten. Mm-hmm. Mukhtar right now leading the club with three goals. Leal and Cadiz behind them, behind him, excuse me, with two. Uh, but it sounds like it's been a balanced from what I'm seeing, and you know more than I do, obviously, but for me it feels like it's been more of a balanced side setting up more 
getting not enough goals, but still, though, setting up more, getting more uh, chances out of uh, the attack and uh, having a solid defensive game. Yeah, there's certainly been a lot more fireworks uh, this year compared to last year. I mean, going back to, you know, obviously FC Cincinnati has continued to to struggle a little bit, but even going back to the after the 17th minute, which which was really the last time FC Cincinnati had anything respectable to look at in that match on, on the debut just a couple of months ago, Nashville completely controlled uh, the entire end of the first half and throughout the second half, and it was basically just training at that point. Uh, they were constantly putting shots on goal. They were trying new things. They were playing in service, uh, service from, from the flanks. They were coming through the middle and then going up against uh, teams like Montreal and, and teams like, as I mentioned earlier, New England, Austin, they did both again, and they were able to show their versatility, and I think that it helps that C.J. Sapong comes over from Chicago Fire. He gives you a goal. He gives you a lot of physicality up front, centrally, as a number nine, and he switches it up, you know, in comparison to Adam Baji or, or Jean Dukadis, who are, are two different players in their own right as well. So I think there's a lot more versatility in this Nashville SC side, but Again, I think this really is Randall Leal's uh, team as far as as attacking is concerned, and I would say that's probably, whether it's Red Bulls, whether it's any team Nashville SC has played previously, that is the first name that will come out of uh, a manager's mouth just because of the fact that he is their dribbler. He will take you one-on-one. He will cut in from the left and go on his right. He will take you down the left-hand flank. He can be someone who could create goals off the dribble. He can set some up for others. He's really a do-it-all guy. And if you, know, if you watch international soccer, you're able to see him up against Mexico and then again against Honduras in the Nations League just uh, a week or so ago. So, I mean, you're going to see him going forward in the Costa Rica national team, but he's going to continue to doing a lot of damage on attacking or, excuse me, defending sides for whoever plays Nashville. So Nashville right now, along with Seattle, we can't say Orlando anymore. They got their first loss of the season before the international break came, are still undefeated in the league. Of course, uh, East versus West will not happen uh, for the rest of the way unless uh, Nashville still has a West Coast team to face against or to play against at home. But how surprised are you to see Nashville undefeated right now, uh, or unbeaten, shall we say, since there's only been two wins and five draws? Yeah, unbeaten is correct, and, and also they, they have finished their interconference play. Uh, they played uh, Real Salt Lake and was probably their their most their their the probably the dead game I would say where really nothing was coming about in that match um, on the road at RSL, and then they they played Austin and was able to etch out a one nil win. Uh, Randall Leal scored that goal, but going into this going into this next period, when I look at just what they've done over seven matches played already. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, they, I mean, this is embarrassing. At halftime, you're down 2-0, you're down 1-0, or it's, it's goalless and you probably should be up 2-0. And you, you have this big, this big sense of doubt. And it's almost like a, a, a place of being fooled because that it's basically what Nashville has done. Uh, going back to the end of last year, um, when they were down, they were able to find a way to at least get to get a goal back or 
whether they sometimes it was flip flop doing against the New England Revolution the second time late October last year. Um, you know, they were able to get a pretty early goal, and then Adam Buxa comes in and gets an equalizer. But, you know, this team, it, I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that the way it's set up, they don't necessarily come at you really hot to begin with. They kind of sit at that, that nice, even-keeled speed, and then while other teams are falling off, come the 75th, 80th minute, 85th minute, Nashville sees still going at its own pace, and they're able to capitalize and find a find a way to, to get a point out of it. So, I would say I'm not necessarily surprised in hindsight, but I am obviously not naive in the fact that, you know, through seven matches, okay, you know, being unbeaten, sure. But when you start getting into this part of the season where you're going to start be playing every three or four or five days, you're going to have midweek games and then turn around and play uh, back on Saturday. So it's going to be a situation where I think a lot of their, their bench guys, maybe a Luke Hawkinson, who's drafted out of Creighton last year, spent most of the time with, with Charlotte Independence and USL, comes out. He's, he's been getting minutes. Uh, we have not seen Rodrigo Pinheiro, who is the really talented, young, 22-year-old Uruguayan uh, who has come out of his own country. He's a youth international, and he's more of like a Randall Leal, just not as developed and not as polished. So I think there's going to be a lot of depth needed in going up, I'm sure, going up against Red Bulls, who, obviously uh, comes out with a lot of work rate. They know how to pass the ball. And even though they are probably one of the youngest youngest teams in MLS, uh, that might suit them in a, in a match like this where they're going to ask Nashville to come and chase them, uh, which is what you saw against Atlanta for Nashville. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of depth being used over these next few months, especially as the international window continues. Exactly. As we all know, Alex Muil, a New York Red Bulls homegrown player. Dax McCarty was once a New York Red Bull player, too. Uh, both of them will be returning to Red Bull Arena this coming Friday night. Have you spoken with them about that yet? And uh, what do you think it's going to be like when those two return to their former house uh, against the Red Bulls? And, of course, this will be the first time that Nashville will play the New York Red Bulls in a regular season match. Yeah, so I haven't talked with, with Alex or Dax about Red Bull specifically. Obviously, it'll be something special for, for Alex, given the fact that, yeah, in 2020, he did come back to Red Bull Arena and play, but that was against Montreal, of course, who were spending uh, much of their time uh, last season in New York or, or, or Connecticut or pretty much all over the Northeast, given the fact that there wasn't any international travel allowed and still isn't, but... Uh, this will, like you're right. This will be the time, the first time that he goes up against his old side, and the first time these two clubs meet. And I think it's interesting because I think you're going to see a lot of uh, very stubborn play from Nashville, where they're not going to necessarily just let you punch them continuously, but they are going to let you know New York just go ahead and put in the work uh, physically and, and try to run around. And if they want to pass the ball, then then pass the ball, go right ahead. But I think what you're going to see is a lot of very strong counterattacking play, uh, releasing Randall Leal, releasing maybe someone like CJ Sapong, Dom Baji, who, you know, in a more of like a 3-5-2 or, excuse me, a 4-4-2, you're going to see Dom make a lot of runs in behind and CJ is going to stay central. And that might give uh, a young New York Red Bulls back line some, some problems. So uh, it ought to be interesting to see um, how, how – many numbers Red Bulls put, you know, put forward, especially if they're at home. Uh, I think it'll be an exciting match. It might sneak up on you, though, the result will. 
Now, this is my favorite uh, question to ask you. It's also my favorite topic to discuss, and that is seeing uh, – it doesn't matter what league it's in. doesn't matter first division, second division, third division. I love seeing a stadium built for the game. And Nashville, on their Twitter account, showed a picture of a stadium being built on the Nashville – or should I say the Tennessee uh, Fairgrounds uh, near, of course, the racetrack – do you know what the progress is right now, and how sweet is it looking at this moment in time to very soon Nashville having their own stadium to play in? Yeah, so I've driven by uh, Nashville SC Stadium, what will be Nashville SC Stadium, several times. The last time I actually stepped where essentially where one of the penalty boxes will be, one of the 18-yard boxes, I was able to actually look where the actual grass will be and really take a 360 look and see pretty much a lot of the steel structure has already been put in place. Nashville C is right on schedule to start playing at a, an actual soccer Pacific stadium next May. So May, 2022. And really that's, that's essentially is the last piece I think for this club. We've seen what they can do when they actually are healthy when they can score goals and their defense is solid. Obviously, we saw that in the MLS Cup playoffs last year. So we know on the field that they're good. I think as far as they, how they spent, they're leaving a lot of room for another DP, uh, likely going to be a central striker, especially given the fact that uh, it's looking more and more like Jean Cadiz is probably going to either uh, not have his loan extended and go back to Benfica, or he might get an end of MLS season loan extended where he might stay until December. So I'm not quite sure, but it looks like Nashville C is still wanting to do some business. And, uh, but the stadium, I think that's going to be the last final thing which really hurt this club as far as audience engagement and, and growing their supportership is really not having their own stadium. You know, as, as great as Nissan Stadium has been to some of the big matches for Nashville C in its history, it's been hit with, you know, one of the worst COVID-19 situations throughout the country where, you know, numbers were just absolutely ridiculous. And the MLS restart last year, it didn't really get better probably until, uh, I want to say, the fall. And then they had another big spike during the end of the season. Uh, and then, of course, to begin this season, uh, it, 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 it started off strong, but it just doesn't look like we're going to see what a true out-and-out atmosphere will be like probably until uh, next season when they open their new stadium. Now, I could be wrong if, you know, Nashville SC just decides to, to take over the Eastern Conference, but it seems like their soccer-specific stadium is their last, really a, a, their last uh, proponent, component, I should say, uh, to becoming really in a real established MLS side. Yeah, I agree with you there. And, uh, you know, when you get your own house, you don't have to worry about, you know, interference with uh, the Titans. You're not going to worry about anything else interfering with Nashville during uh, later on in their season, obviously. Now, obviously, the Titans have been wonderful with Nashville, allowing them to play their home games over at Nissan Stadium. But when you play in your own stadium, and I know you've seen this club in uh, lower levels of American soccer, NPSL, uh, USL, now an MLS, and now this is the last piece of the puzzle to get in there. Uh, it, it's always a refreshing thing and a, uh, a humbling moment when you finally 
walk through those doors, you get the tour of the brand new building, and you just cannot believe that this thing has finally come true. Yeah, it's going to be pretty nice. Um, Even before I got a chance to look at the soccer stadium and actually walk in it, I got a chance to see it from more of a digital side and looking at some of the design and looking at what exactly they're trying to do and even signed one of the beams that are going to go into the stadium. So if you unpack all the the concrete and all the infrastructure, you might see my name somewhere in black Sharpie on a, on a steel beam somewhere, but you know, it's, it's just going to (laughs) be nice to have something that's personal uh, because I think that's what makes American soccer so lively at times is this intimate relationship, given the fact that it's still growing in a lot of places. It's, It's an infancy still. And, What's important during that stage is that is to retain that intimate uh, atmosphere and that intimate, really almost like a family-like setup. And I think that's what you're going to see from National SC Stadium. You're going to see Nashville in the stadium, Music City, the culture that comes with it, the Southern feeling, but also a soccer feeling. I think that's what they're trying to do. Yeah, I agree with you there. And uh, hopefully I can get down there and check it out, and uh, we'll go and uh, get some barbecue. I want to taste some Nashville barbecue, obviously, because I've never been to Nashville, and I want to check it out. And uh, if you're offering tours, Drake, I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for a small fortune. We'll see. Okay. I got you. I got you. Well, listen, thanks a lot for jumping on tonight. You have a good night, and – have have a good season for the rest of the way. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming on. Drake Hills from the Tennessean covering Nashville SC as uh, they're doing all right so far. They're still undefeated, and they're building a hell of a stadium in the fairgrounds of Nashville and in the in the Tennessee the state of Tennessee in the Nashville area. It's going to be fantastic. I've seen the photo of it from the uh, Nashville SC Twitter page. Uh, this is, excites me. This is what makes me feel great that the sport is improving, not just tactical and with the amount of developing, uh, developing players that are looking better, stronger, and faster, but our infrastructure for stadiums being built is really becoming a beautiful thing to see. And once again, you have to plant a flag of American soccer in our cities, no matter what level it is, in MLS, USL Championship, USL League One, hopefully League Two, NPSL, NISA, whatever and wherever you can find the land, build a stadium. I don't care. It doesn't have to be as big as Red Bull Arena. It doesn't have to be as medium as Lynn Family Stadium. It can be a couple of benches as long as you own the land, you own the stadium, you own the rights, you can settle and create the different times and all that fun stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, And, you know, as we move along here, I I have to say something, and this is to, of course, for the CONCACAF region and, of course, with CBS Sports. I have been pleasantly surprised and pleasantly happy with how CBS Sports has embraced soccer. Working well, of course, on CBS Sports Network, CBS Sports nationally itself. For me, it's Channel 2 in New York. 
the Paramount Plus app showing CBS Sports broadcasts. It has been a joy to watch. It has been unbelievable to watch. And my hope is this. Yes, they've done well with the UEFA Champions League. They're doing well with the UEFA Europa League. They're bringing in other Champions League tournaments. Uh, Now, of course, the World Cup qualification cycle, they're broadcasting games as well. Not everyone, because there are some nations that are in current deals with other streaming services, but the majority are on Paramount+. And to watch on my phone these World Cup qualification matches through the CONCACAF region, I am extremely happy and extremely pleased that everything is going to fruition. I'm hoping to see more with CONCACAF Nations League when the new tournament starts. When that will be, we'll find out from CONCACAF themselves. The broadcasts have been fantastic. My hope is that once this deal with Fox and ESPN is over, which I do believe ESPN will re-up with MLS, I am hoping CBS joins in as well. Fox, thank you for your time. I thought you had a great start. Hopefully you'll finish with a flourish. But as of right now, I truly believe, truly believe that CBS, the central broadcasting service, they are going to be the ones to take over. And depending on who they bring over and whether they're going to be in Los Angeles or in Miami, the New York tri-state area, I really believe that CBS would be a great fit for Major League Soccer. And I really, really believe if they continue this fantastic run of soccer buildup and everything else involving it, I truly believe CBS could do a job here and be the right partner for soccer in this country involving our first division league. Until then, I'm not saying it's going to happen. I would like for it to happen. CBS has their sports network. They have their national CBS channel. I really would love to see CBS take over MLS broadcasting duties and be in the shared partnership with MLS. Excuse me, yeah, with them and, of course, with ESPN. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. National games on CBS Sports. Why not? So far, uh, Kate Abdo's done a great job. Uh, it was nice seeing Charlie Davies, also uh, Clint Dempsey. Yes, Aguchi Onyewu went a little too far 
in the CONCACAF Nations League pregame show, CONCACAF Nations League today. He went a little too far with that comment, but he apologized for it. He apologized for it, and I'm glad he did so. It wasn't right, but once again, I have to say this. He did a good job of apologizing for that comment, didn't mean to do it, and at the same time, I thought he did a great job as an analyst for the CONCACAF Nations League in pre-games, half-times, and the post-game shows. If Charlie Davies is no longer going to be an analyst for MLS on their website and uh, for the New England Revolution, and CBS makes the move, I say, re- I say hire all three. Bring them over. If he's just a national team guy, then fine, so be it. But other than that, I cannot wait to see what he can do for CONCACAF Gold Cup, regular Nations League, maybe CONCACAF League, CONCACAF Champions League. If all of CONCACAF properties are moving on to CBS, I have no problem whatsoever. Let's go. Let's go for CBS. I'm rooting for them. Let's just do what we can do, and hopefully CBS will be there for all of us. Once again, I want to thank my guests tonight. It's Dwayne Rollins, 24th Minute Blog, uh, part of Soccer Today and Sports Podcasting Network with Kevin Laramie. And, of course, uh, Drake Hills from the Tennessee and covering Nashville SC. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Join me next time recapping round two of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying and then I'm back here for you since Fire American Soccer Show. And don't forget, next month, ready to go and is back. Once again, thank you for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now.